Hello and welcome to a festively timed December 2016 edition of Organising to Win, the trade union podcast from Unison Northwest. I'm James Ball and in this month's episode, Kevin Lucas talks to Julie Finnegan, branch secretary of Unison's Oldham Local Government branch, about their campaign against attacks on terms and conditions in Oldham Council. First though, in the last of our interviews with speakers from our 2016 organising convention, Skills for Strength, Kevin chatted with Nigel Flanagan, an organiser from UNI Global Union, about the benefits and techniques of power mapping. So Nigel, what is power mapping? Well, power mapping is uh, a technique that we use in the process of the uh, mapping stage of organising. So when we talk about mapping as such in organising, we're talking usually about where are the workers based, how many of them are they, what shifts do they work, who are our contacts, etc. So that we have a proper picture of the actual workplace. But the often neglected part of mapping is the mapping that relates to the employer, and specifically, and most often, to um, power mapping. And what we mean by power mapping is really breaking down and analysing how decisions are made inside the employer's organisation. Who makes those decisions? Who they're accountable to? Who do they listen to? And, you know, what are the factors that would really influence that decision making? Even to the point of identifying a particular individual and their circle of allies and and, and targeting uh, them as part of the campaign. In addition to that, we would also look at an employer's operations and see which would be the most vulnerable part of their operations to the uh, exertion of union power. So you do this stuff all over the world, don't you? I mean, can you give us a can you give us a recent example? <laughs> yeah, we do do it all over the world, and uh, the interesting thing about that is it always usually comes back to the same answers, no matter where we are. But but to try and give you an example, we have been organising uh, contact centres in Morocco. And our first uh, uh, effort working with the uh, Moroccan trade union, UMT, was to find out where the contact centres are, where they are based, how many people work there, and all those usual standard uh, questions that we have in order to make sure we have a proper picture of the workplace. But the power mapping element for us was, because UniGlobal Union has uh, global framework agreements with a number of uh, multinational companies, We had a look to see which global companies were using the services of these contact centres. So, for example, we discovered Amazon is using some of the contact centres in Morocco to process their orders. Amazon are a big, powerful company, and it worked two ways. We were able to map that we we could disrupt Amazon if we were organised in some of the call centres in Morocco. And conversely, we can threaten to disrupt Amazon, which is leverage on the contact centre companies themselves who are probably quite anxious to keep Amazon's um, business. So that's a recent, fairly sort of straightforward example of mapping where the power could be exerted against a company by looking at their clients, their customers. Okay. And so what have been the outcomes of that, of that mapping and of the influence you've exerted as a result of it? Well, in relation to the global framework agreements that we may have with client companies, we would then go to the, um, the, the union, uh, the national union in the country of origin, as we call it. So if it was G4S, for example, the, uh, the, the, the country of origin is the UK, and the union that is uh, responsible for that framework agreement is the GMB. So we can talk to G4S 
through the GMB about how their business is operating in other parts of the world, or even how some of their customers are operating to try and get them to exert influence. And that it's, it's what we might call soft power. But using that soft power is very, very important in some of the countries that we work in, where building up capacity, capacity and building up strength in the unions is still at an early stage, as it is in Morocco. Yeah, so could you describe to us a win that, that you've, you've had experience of as a result of some of these techniques? Uh, yeah, uh, for, so for example, we were working with uh, a trade union in Turkey, which was organising uh, security guards at Antalya Airport. There was a high level of hostility to the, um, uh, the union organisers and to the union activists inside Antalya Airport, as there is generally in Turkey anyway. And the company that employed uh, the security staff there is Securitas, which is a Swedish company and which has a very strong and very um, active partnership relationship with the Swedish trade unions. Um, the manager there was um, indulging in all kinds of uh, quite violent activity against some of the, uh, the activists. And so we secretly invited the chair of the European Works Council for Securitas to come to the airport with us, without him announcing who he was, witnessed everything that took place, then presented his credentials to the manager of Securitas in, uh, in the airport and flew back to Sweden to demand that the chief executive do something about the guy, and the guy was taken off the job. So, you know, in a simple way, that removed a, an organising obstacle. There, there are lots of other ways that um, you can use that kind of uh, influence. We know, so for example, we have just... Uh, negotiated the signing of what we call the uh, Cleaners' Charter with the uh, European uh, uh, Union. Now, one of the ways we got that charter signed by the European Union and the employers' um, uh, representatives was that we worked on the client groups. So in the, the City of London, uh, Unite the Union and its activists targeted Barclays Bank. Not because they employ the cleaners, but because they use the services of the companies that uh, are cleaning the buildings to say there should be minimum standards, there should be transparency, and it should be just about quality and not cost. So we use that soft power again, identifying the clients that we've got the most influence with in order to get them to put pressure on the contractors to agree some kind of minimum standard. Yeah, That's impressive and it's, it's obviously powerful stuff. And I think listeners will be thinking, OK, well, that sounds great, but how could we apply that? locally? How could we apply that in the kind of branches that, that Unison organises within? Yeah, well I think that the one um, element that is different obviously for working in the public sector uh, in the UK is that we still have that democratic opportunity where we can exploit it to lobby councillors who are making decisions about uh, outsourcing or contracting or whatever. But once they've gone out, that kind of uh, option is, is, is pretty much closed down unless you're talking about a uh, the renewal of a contract. So what I would say to local branches is where you've got contractors working, investigate the ownership of that, con that contractor. It may well be that there are pension funds uh, that own part of, the, um, part of the company, or there may be other organisations that have shares in the company that we have a relationship with, and use those relationships to put some pressure on what is happening locally. And, and you know, that has been a tactic that has been used in the past and can be very, very successful. <clears throat> Often it, it's a tactic that we might use when we're not organising a workplace, we don't have the union strength, 
but sometimes if we use both together, it can be quite a dynamic uh, sort of um, uh, combination. So recently, I must tell you this, we, we, we found out that one of the biggest owners of uh, or investors in public services in the world is the Norwegian Teachers Pension Fund. And they have uh, an enormous amount of money, an enormous amount of shares in different companies. And actually, because they're a trade union, they're very friendly towards trade unions who, who want to take up a case with them. So investigating the ownership of the contractor that you're dealing with uh, can produce some very sort of uh, helpful information in terms of who you want to put some pressure on. That was Nigel Flanagan from UNI Global Union speaking to us at our 2016 organising convention earlier this year. Now, members in Oldham Council have been hit with threats to their terms and conditions of employment this year, and Unison members have been fighting back. We spoke to Julie Finnegan, the branch secretary, about how members have been organising to defend themselves against the cuts. So Julia, members are faced with threats of £2 million worth of cuts to their terms and conditions. How are you and the branch responding? What we've done is we've gone through a negotiation period over the summer uh, with these terms and conditions. These are an extension of the three years what have already been imposed. We've categorically stated that we are not prepared to go into any agreement with them and we're saying it's a detriment to our members' terms and conditions and we want them all reinstated. And we got so far, we, we had had some improvement, but not enough. There's still a detriment to our members. So we went out and did a consultative ballot to all our members who were affected. We actually got a good mandate and a good return from our members to actually state that they, want, they are prepared to take some form of industrial action uh, unless there is an improvement. We have gone back to the council and, and informed them that we have had a good re response from our members and we've got a mandate uh, for to seek an improvement. When the council came back with an improvement, it wasn't as much as we expected. It was something what they were entitled to anyway. And what we did is we checked this out with our Thompson solicitors and we found that it is, an in, it is something what they were already entitled to and if they had removed it, it would have been a breach of contract. We've actually stated this back to the council and we're still awaiting a reply from them. It's a bit of a stalemate at the moment and we're actually trying to keep in touch with our members to let them know we have still trying to get an improvement but at this moment in time it's very quiet and we've not heard anything back from the council. So how have the members responded to that? What's the mood like there at the moment? They're absolutely deplorable, you know, with the issues there because when we were going through the negotiations, we obviously went through their funding, the council's funding, and part of their funding they do, they have got down, they've got ninety-four pound, sorry, ninety-four million pounds worth of uh, earmark reserves, which is obviously for any problems if any services go into crisis and what they class as rainy days, but we also they were found there was eighteen million as unallocated reserves. And that money's been there for the last three years. So in theory, they didn't need to impose this £2 million worth of cuts in the first time, first place. So you can imagine our members are very, very angry with this because they've had to endure three years of cuts to their terms and conditions when it was unnecessary. So when the council want to carry on doing that three years, plus adding an additional on top of it to make up to the £2 million, our members are saying enough's enough. They're struggling at the moment because they've got a, a less workforce because of the redundancies, 
but the workload and the demand is still out there in Oldham and our members are struggling under the stress of all the extra work they're having to do and for actually less terms and conditions. So it is like a double-edged sword to those individuals and it's got to that stage where our members have had enough. When we were sent out the consultative ballot, we didn't actually go out and agitate our members. We just sent out to keep them, you know, let them know where we're up to and what were they prepared to do. And we was astonished by the response we've got from them because it was an over, you know, it was quite a high response and that response was to say they want to take some kind of industrial action if we don't get an improved offer. So you're the branch secretary. Mm-hmm. I know you've got a team around you, but that's thousands of Unison members who are ready to take part in industrial action. It's a big responsibility. What are your plans moving forward? How are you going to maintain momentum over Christmas? What we'll have to do over that over Christmas is do uh, face-to-face talks with our members. We do, like I say, over the years, we've had, we have listened to our members about communication and we have actually managed to actually get a website up and running and we have Twitter and we have social media uh, and we do email out because with the new system we have with Worms that's easy for us to contact our members and we write to them but that's not always enough and I found that over the years the best way to actually get it across to our members is that face-to-face talk and actually walking on the workforce and mm. workplace and talking to them and trying to keep them informed and letting them know where we're up to with, with the council um, and making sure that they're well up to date on what's going on. So do you think this could be transformative to the branch? Do you think this is a, uh, the branch is almost entering a new era of a more active membership base? Oh, definitely. Absolutely, definitely. And I think they've over the years, they've, they've felt like they're just being dragged down by everything, what's happening with the government and, you know, and the councils are all falling in line with everything. And I think they're absolutely had enough of it. And I think and all it doesn't help as well, it being a Labour council either. It's just our members are there. They're, they're the ones who do who vote for the elections in May, coming up into May and all this lot next year. And a lot of people who work for the council live in Oldham. Mm. You know, the 90% of the workforce are actually living in Oldham. And I think sometimes the Labour councillors forget that. Mm. And if you're going to actually attack those people it is attack that's how our members feel this is an attack on them by the labour councillor as well as the management in the council now i know i've worked with you in previous years where you've been quite keen on 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 a more aggressive negotiating position but you felt the members haven't been with you and i know that will be something shared by a lot of other union and activists and, and unison branch secretaries who who feel that there's apathy out there amongst the members what would you say to those those other branch leaders who, who would like to see more fire in the belly of the members? It is a surprise. It was a total turnaround for me um, and from our, our branch officers because, you know, like I said, this has been going on for a number of years. I, I started as a branch secretary in 2010 and I was kind of thrown into the fire about it. Where that's when all the cuts started. And I've always been, a, you know, I will never agreed to anything I'll always reject it even if it's a good offer I'll still reject it to get a better offer as you know Kevin I will do that and I've always tried to instill that in my members and I think this time I think I finally got over to them when I've talked to them and said to them this is not right and then as soon as I told them about when we found that 18 million the faces just dropped they was absolutely angry and disgusted that 
they believed in the in the management and because we all know that they get brainwashed by management this is how it is we've all got these cuts we've all in it together clearly we're not in it together and i think our members over the years and it it is it's all it's given me that extra hope that yes we've got their members behind us and we just hope that they will follow this through and we need to get them to a protest at full council to show the councillors that they are not happy with this and we've got to get everybody there and we've got to push for it and hopefully our members will be behind me when it comes to it. Well, that's all we've got time for for uh, this episode and this year. Uh, But thanks very much for listening. If you want to find out more about um, any of the issues discussed in this programme, then you can have a look at the resources on our website at www.unisonnw.org forward slash podcast. And once again, if uh, if you want to register for our 2016 or 2017, rather, organising convention, uh, which is going to be on the 11th of March in Manchester, um, then you can go to our Skills for Strength website at www.unisonnw.org forward slash skills for strength. But in the meantime, uh, have a lovely Christmas and New Year, and thanks for listening. <laughs>